fire up the bry. We're back again. The boys in blue, the boys in gold, the boys in red, the boys in green. Make some noises on the whistle time. Listen, we're going to talk about some amazing Nandos we had the other day. We don't have a sponsorship from them, so the same product placement. I'm your host, Nabi, and joining me, I have the flyer, the suave, the man who wears glasses on the podcast, and we can see reflections on YouTube, Francis and Quayen, <laughs> fresh from Cameroon, the hottest property in sports marketing. How are you doing, son? I'm very well, daddy. This is, this is an expose. <laughs> I did not introduce you yet, young buck. Back in your box. Coming up next, the holder of the Spirit Club. The man who's not turned his heating on all winter. Looks like Rocky Balboa. The PSL winner from 1996. Gordon Ingerson's player of the season. Courtney Fries. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be here amongst this elite gathering. Uh, I'm lucky to be in this group. Francis, let's not be scared to crack open that whiskey. I got it, I got it, I got it. Bottle is halfway down. And last but certainly not least, a man who every three episodes tries to lead a coup d'etat, like we're some country in South America or in the motherland. I got so much love for my Kenyan Scottish brother, co-host, cross-platform reporter, and the only one of us we pay to go to tournaments, Alistair Howard. How are you? Um, well, I mean, I would say I'm doing well, but clearly I'm not. I'm not presenting. I'm just I'm introduced last. Like, it's just, I, I you know, can't lie. I'm not happy. You know, I just did a leadership course, and I know... Of all the people on this call, we, you, you know, Francis just, you know, he buys things. You know, he can buy planes and trains and football clubs. So he doesn't have to do these management courses. But I think, Courtney, you'll relate to this. I was told whenever there's change in an organization, there's like three things. You get engaged and enthusiastic, engaged and critical, and then you get the disengaged. And, there's, and, I, and I learned to listen. They say the hardest people are the disengaged, but they're also the easiest because you can just say, we wish you well. So, Alistair, Hoggy, Alistair Howarth, we wish you well. <laughs> I'm logging off. That's it. I'm done. <laughs> no, no. Come back. Come back. Come back. Mic drop. <laughs> Listen, guys. It's so good to see everyone. Um, we're around this bri. We've got three big talkers today. One is going to be on the incredible Senegal. Once again, torchbearers for the continent. Doing amazing work uh, at the uh, CAF Under 20 tournament. Um, we're going to talk a little about the MLS and how Bradley Carnell an African coach is doing great things with St. Louis City. And um, we can't forget Courtney's take at the end of the podcast. He's going to tell you why the Sundowns coach, Rulani Mukwena, should be getting a lot more attention. Remember, at On The Whistle, we're here to celebrate African excellence. We're here to tell our own stories, and we're here to give ourselves an authentic voice. Please do get in touch with us at OTW underscore podcast on every platform out there. That's Twitter, that's Instagram, that's Facebook, that's YouTube. Let us know what you think. We love to hear from you. And at the end of the show, I'm going to go to the mailbag. But without further ado, i got to ask the question, guys. We have a Senegal men's team that made the knockout stages in Qatar. We have the under-20s who are shining. We know they are African champions. We're so proud of them. And, of course, they knocked out Egypt in the playoffs last year. So they had, for all intents and purposes, a brilliant year, which we forget about because Morocco were 
were so brilliant at the World Cup that we forget just how good that Senegal team is. And I think when you look at how some of their junior teams are doing and teams across the board, there certainly is a lot of talent and there's a lot of success that we might not be focusing on. I mean, I, I think I think you're spot on there, Zane. It, it's it's ludicrous. I mean, how you know Senegal has had this reputation forever for being the kind of you know the the bride, but uh, whatever it was, the expression the bridesmaid, but never the bride. You know, they they always getting to the finals of the Afcon, always getting far in tournaments. You know, always almost getting their World Cups. You know, coming so close to getting semifinals, never and never getting past it. And suddenly, the last kind of twelve months, well, a bit more than that, is it's been ludicrous. You know, first you have that incredible Afcon run, kind of righting the wrongs of of twenty nineteen. Then they kind of almost, in the sense, in terms of drama, do one better in the World Cup qualifiers. And then you know, we saw, I guess, the strength and depth of Senegal with in the last two months. Right, the first you have the Chan where, you know, they're going up against a really strong Algerian home side um, and they and they progress to win that. Yes, you know, there's the caveat there that the holders Morocco weren't there for kind of uh, reasons that we probably shouldn't go into uh, above our pay grade in terms of the politics. But, um, but you know, and we've seen the individuals that have thrived there. You know, we saw, and, and the, I think the thing that makes me happy is, right, Chan is this kind of weird tournament where it's players can only play if they play in their home country, and it's kind of designed to get people moves. And we've seen the success of that. I mean, we're seeing Mets already picking up, you know, uh, the player of the tournament of the AFCON 20 and the player who is, could arguably have been the under the player of the tournament, the Chan, Lamine Kamara, as well as a few others. And, you know, I think it's it's crazy the kind of depth they have. You know, I think, you know, we've always spoken about how you know, certain African teams do well because of their organization, because of their training, because, and, you know, you, we look at, say, teams like Nigeria, where they have this incredible depth of talent, you know, it doesn't matter what generation of Nigeria it is, there's always going to be excellent players, whereas you look at Morocco under Walid Bergragi, they're coached, they're organized, they're disciplined, you know, but then you look at the Senegal, they're the best of both worlds, they're everything, I mean, the AFCON under 20 that just went by, they didn't concede a single goal, they won every single game, like, they blew everyone out of the water, and they're just, they keep doing it. It's it's incredible. Yeah, I can't I can't argue with anything that Alice has just said. Um, as you gentlemen know, I'm an avid believer in systems, and I mm-hmm. think um, what the Senegalese have demonstrated over the last twelve, eighteen, dare I even say twenty four months and beyond, a little bit, has been the coming to fruition of a system that they've put in place. Over many years, they if we were to take the case of Aliou Cisse, for example, he is now in, I believe it's something like his ninth year, I believe, in charge of this Senegalese footballing structure. Um, and when you look at what it is that was his roadmap, if you go back to the original roadmap that he laid out, he spoke of a project over 10 years that would not only identify players that will bring success, but players that will also replace those who bring success. And with the most recent and fourth trophy that the Senegalese have won in a very short uh, space of time, and shout out to Senegal in all honesty for the ability to be the first team, first nation ever to hold our four continental trophies in one period. This is really a tribute to systems and leadership having people in places 
having square pegs for square holes, having a system in place that is backed from state level to club level. Because Alistair mentioned even like these players who are moving to Mets, for example. They're not moving to Mets only because of the demonstrations that they did during the tournaments. These guys have already been on the radars of these European clubs. The partnerships between Generation Foot, for example, and Mets has young players as young as 15 years old already going on international tours, but going back home. So like they would go to France, spend a month in France, playing their peers in different clubs, uh, training in spaces that accustom them to a more professional game. And then their clubs are also doing this transfer of knowledge where the local clubs, the way Generation Foot, the way um, some of the local uh, footballing entities that you have in, in, in Senegal operate these days, it's truly phenomenal. For those of us who work in the industry where we try to identify young talent and maybe acquire or invest in them early, the numbers are so different in Senegal over the last, dare I say, three to four years, in that if you're not talking $150,000, $200,000, the players are not being let go of, but you also have to explain to the clubs what the project is because the continuation of that young man's career in your hands is directly linked to the reputation of the establishment and they understand that. They want to be able to say their alumni have done well. And so they're picking spaces when we see a... Uh, the young man who's at, at Watford in Ishmael Sar, for example, and that story, these new stories are a continuation of what Ishmael Sar is doing. And Ishmael Sar, his story is a continuation of what Sadio Mane did as well. So it's this ability to put in place systems that can allow you to identify talent, give them the opportunity to shine, be identified then by others who can come in and say, how do we participate in this? And they accompany this with a state uh, supervision, dare I say, that simply says these players represent a people. There is a call to action that the young men also accept, a sense of responsibility. But the examples of people like Sadio Mane means that the conversations you have with Senegalese young players now goes beyond just what they would earn. It goes beyond the ability to make it to Europe. It's what are we doing as human beings? How are we as citizens responding to the call that our nation is making to us? And it's this sense of purpose that I think has come to its head. And so we're seeing young boys and young men being called onto the pitch to do what they have to do there, but they do it with such zest, with such gusto, with such belief, because there's an understanding of what it is that they're doing. And I want to believe it has a lot to do with what Aliou Cisse brought to the Senegalese Federation when he was applying to do the job, which was to put in place a project. And that project was to develop, entrench, and repeat, repeat, and repeat a sense of belonging, a sense of excellence, a sense of winning and purpose, and it's a true joy to see. And I think the thing that excites me about 
say the AFCON U20 is, look, when we get to the AFCON, you get the craziness of, of, of football, right? You know, and it's similar to the World Cup, you know, it doesn't matter how great your systems are, it doesn't matter how great, you know, the pressure, that's when it matters the most, all that matters is winning, you know, getting yourself over the line. And that's why we see, you know, fantastic players like Sadio Mane and Lionel Messi stepping up. But when, when it's the U20 AFCON and there's less pressure, is you have, you know, and the regularity of the tournaments, you have them twice, uh, once every two years, is you get to see these systems being built. And I think what's such a testament to, to Senegal's success, for me, it's not even them winning it this time, it's the fact that they were runners up in 2015, yeah. 2017, 2019, and now they've won it. You know, the same with the AFCON, you know, the, they had a brilliant performance, the World Cup in 2018, get to the final in 2019, win it in, in 2022. You know, for me, that's where you're seeing the success. And as well as I think for me, I like seeing particularly the U20 is you're seeing the nations that are becoming savvier with their youngsters, you know, that are succeeding. You know, who, who's the, the one team with uh, that that has gotten, you know, back into the final after being the semifinal last time is Senegal's little brother, Gambia. Yes. You know, who who would have said, you know, five, six, seven, eight years ago that Gambia of all teams, you know, would be doing so successful but they had a brilliant U20 uh, last time in 2021, got to the semifinals. Lo and behold, suddenly at the AFCON, they have a brilliant tournament, get to the quarterfinals and get knocked out by, by Francis's lot in the end, you know? <laughs> and, 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 and suddenly, you know, they're genuinely in the conversation to maybe getting into the World Cup for 2026, you know? They, I, it's not unthinkable that they could steal one of, those, one of those qualifying spots from one of the bigger nations. Same with Uganda, you know? We've seen them put in place much better structure, infrastructure, youth youth planning, and we're seeing the fruits of that, you know, in, in the U20, you know, players like Aziz Kayondo doing so well at the last one. Now he's, you, you know, he's in Spain with, again, with, with Francis a lot and we're Derek Kakuza doing brilliantly. And again, they got to the quarterfinals, you know, we're, um, you know, came up against a very good Nigeria squad and, and kind of lost out. But I think that's where I get really excited about these things. You're seeing the countries that are putting things in place. Whereas again, AFCON, you know, there's too much chaos. There's too much, you know, noise. There's too much. It doesn't matter how well you prepare, like, you know, that you can always lose out. You can always do badly. Yeah. Um, but I, I love seeing that in the, in the U20 is you're seeing, and Senegal have done it. The, you know, they're the best in the business at the moment. There is there is no doubt. You're very right, Elsa. And also, I mean, if I may, uh, like you touched on the absence of Morocco, it would really have been interesting to see Morocco be there because they too, like the Senegalese, mm -hmm. have also put in place a system. Um, and it would have been really interesting to see how, because they too have made it to the finals, they too have, have won as well. And it was a question of seeing whether there could be continuity to this and how they pitched themselves up against uh, the, old, the, the also rans of, or the eternal or the supposed eternal also rans. So that was something that we missed out on, like you said, because of reasons maybe not beyond our pay grade, because we can talk about them if we so desire. But we choose not to today. because um, we, pay, we pay in Nando's, so it's beyond your Nando's. Second plug for Nando's. There you go. They're listening in. <laughs> Had two buckets of chicken this week. So I should say that so, too. Not from Nando's. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a lemon and herb, and it's not a hot, hot, hot. Like exactly. the court you have. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Listen. I can listen to you boys chop it up all day on this. And I do have to transition us now, if you don't mind. We're going from Senegal to St. Louis, Missouri, where an African coach is doing great things. Bradley Cornell, 
as leading that franchise, that expansion franchise, to the top of the standings in the Western Conference. They've ripped their first three games. They've won them, and they're leading against more fancied opposition. It's a fantastic start. When you think, when Inter Miami started under Phil Neville, I don't think they won much, and they certainly didn't win their first three games. So, Bradley Connell is a South African. He played for Bafana Bafana. Also, for years, played in the Bundesliga for Stuttgart. Courtney Fries, I know you briefly crossed paths with him. Here's a man who was nicknamed the Putball. Not because he was the most talented, but because every time you got near him, he let you know in defense who he was. <laughs> yes, Zane, honestly, just now you're going to tell us you're a Green Bay's Packer fan. <laughs> well, listen, Bradley Cornell is, um, was a very good left back um, and one of the, I would say, the most functional left backs, but a real good team player who people could count on. And listen, who doesn't want that? Someone you can count on. Um, with that level of ability, move to some big teams uh, in the country. Started at one of the most expansive teams in the country, at Wits University, who were years ahead of anybody else in terms of thinking about youth development and youth structures from the very beginning. The, one of the very first teams to ever do that. It came through the system and, and went on to be a real superstar in the country, played for Bafana Bafana, and is now coaching abroad, um, which is a fantastic thing. So when we think of the superstar African coaches, it's Reg Raggy at Morocco. It's Cissé at Senegal, like who we, who we briefly mentioned. It's uh, Mossamani at Al-Ahli in Saudi Arabia. Um, it's Kolo Torre, who was recently at Wigan, former assistant at Leicester. We're hoping we'll land a good job somewhere else. Um, we can even bring somebody like Chrissy Hutton into the bracket for the work he's doing at Ghana. But I want to shout out Bradley because we're looking at the next generation of coaches coming out. And it's really interesting to find out how he makes his way to coach at this expansion franchise because as a player, he talks about having retired, being out of the game for five, six years, starts to get involved in commentating on Supersport, the biggest broadcast on the African continent, and also doing some work at Wits University, um, being brought into the academy setup, but then ending up getting involved in coaching. And while he's doing this and his punditry on Supersport, a gentleman by the name of Lutz Fannerstiel, a German player who's been all over the world, um, written books, a wonderful raconteur, sees him on TV, spots something in him, meets him at a charity game, invites him to Germany to do a UEFA B license course, along with Dalron Buckley, who's been on this podcast and is one of the one of the Monday greats in South African football. And on this course, Bradley Carnell impresses. He gets the highest scores and from there launches a career. And when Lutz eventually heads over and now he's because he worked in German football and is now working at this expansion team. And Bradley had gone to the New York Red Bulls. He was an assistant and interim coach. And when they were looking to start the franchise, they wanted to play Gargan Press football. They wanted to emulate what Ralph Rangnick had done in Germany with the teams he coached. And they said, this is the guy who can do it. So we're proud to see Bradley do well. He's doing excellent work. And Courtney, you know, you and I never miss a gap on a South African. And he's already got one of our brothers over there. 
Well, that just shows, Zane. Uh, let's not talk about getting an African over. Let's forget that. He went looking for quality, Zane. And the quality he found was in that player. The player could be, have been in Antarctica. Doesn't matter. He went looking for somebody. And he found the quality. It just so happens he's a South African. He's over there. He's doing well under a good manager. But, you know, I, I just want to say the same. For those and if you're wondering who that player is, it's Injibulo Blom. Injibulo Blom, okay, who Gavin Hunt was crying over when he left. Gavin Hunt actually said, how can you take my son? But this is what happened. So I, I just want to say this for all those purists out there sitting in their marble marble arches with their oak wood uh, offices, ordering... Francis and Quayne. Yeah, yeah, the Francis and Quayne type people. Please Bradley Cornell alone. Do not stop <laughs> and saying, we want him to come and coach Bafana Bafana. Leave him. Let him get on with his job. Let him cultivate himself as a good manager before he looks at the national team. Because what happens in South Africa, you win six games and you, you, you're good enough for the national team. Benny just moved to Man United. Wasn't even there five months. We need to put him in the national team. Come on. See, another African coach I forgot to mention and South African. So, Bradley, we wish you well. May your franchise continue to fly high. But, Brother Zane? Courtney. Yeah, go on, go on, Francis. I may also join in. You know, when you talk MLS. Oh, come on in. Come on in. You talk come on American in. football. It excites me because this is precisely why I've always liked the U.S. proposition for us as Africans because I generally mm -hmm. believe the size of that league will give opportunity to many. And if you're good, it is one that will, over time, be built on meritocracy because it's enshrined in the American system, especially when it comes to sport. So I think the ability for a young South African coach to make his way in a league that I still honestly believe in the next five to seven years will be in the top five leagues of international football because of the money that it has and the talent that it will attract. There is some beautiful football that's going on over there. I think it's a joy to see one of our brothers in that space and doing well. It will open up the opportunity for others. But I also think, most importantly, his story, as you recounted to us, is so true of many. Many people who don't think there's an opportunity for them and so do not even bother with doing the coaching badges because they generally don't think there's a space they can go into that may be worthwhile or exciting enough, but that will even give them the opportunity. We've seen that here in England where we all, for the first time in a long time, all four of us are located today. We still have a challenge with the ability for our own brothers to find gainful employment. We have a Patrick mm -hmm. Vieira at Crystal Palace. And I, and okay, we've got company <laughs> at, at Burnley, but that's already, you've gone down to the championship. That's it, in all honesty. But we need opportunities at the very top end of the game. But we also need yeah. our own to take up the, the, the baton. They must do the badges. And I think it's something Alistair had mentioned in a previous part. The fact that CAF is also running these courses. A lot of these mm. coaches that you spoke about earlier who are shining are doing the CAF one out of Morocco. Again, another space that we just touched on. There are some good things going on. So even Courtney, I would like to say, Mr. Freeze, I think you have it in you to be Bafana Bafana's coach. Go get your badges.
Wow. Francis, Spirit I, Cup winner for the big job. Francis, I could do it very easily. Yes. That job. <laughs> Whoa. He's I making big claims. I could do that job easy. But the great thing about Bafana Bafana is that there are internal systems that are happy to see people fail hey. and not provide people Listen. with with the with the tools they need to be successful. Okay. This man's watched Rocky too much. He's even dressed like saw, Balboa. You, did you see Rocky? Yeah, he's too? ready. He's ready. Well, well, you <laughs> see what Clubber Lang? You saw what Clubber Lang did to Rocky? That's what that job will do to well, you. No, no, creep four. You, got here. you won't go three creep rounds. Four, you won't go three four. rounds, dog. <laughs> Adrian! Adrian! <laughs> I ain't heard no bell. I ain't heard no bell. <laughs> ding 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 ding. Yeah, but, but you, you, jokes aside, I take your point. There's wider structural issues that make it hard for the coach, right? That's what happens. The, the structural issues take good men. Don't think that the people that are not doing well, don't look at Hugo Bross now and think, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. He's just telling too many truths. No, these are good managers. But the internal structures are, is what's disabling people here. You know? And don't listen to me, right? In terms of, in terms of football pedigrees, I'm an ant. Listen to Dr. Kumalo three years back when we failed to qualify for the World Cup. When, when the, the, the coach asked for assistance, please, I need people to go and watch the teams we are going to play. They couldn't even do that for the national team manager. So, you know, stay where you are, Bradley. 2026. It's nine African countries going to the North American World Cup. You still don't think SA will make it? No, they won't. Don't. No, 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 no. We're <laughs> not going there. No You're hesitation. Not, no. That's no. No. Like Courtney, you're not allowed to answer. Francis, this is not talk sport. You will not bait at every single corner. No. No, you're not answering. You know. No. 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 No answer. Bottle it. Bottle it. Bottle it. You know why? I'm going to the mailbag right now, and then we'll get to you, Courtney. And you know what? I want to pick up very seriously, actually, on what Francis has said earlier and Courtney. You need the correct structures to succeed. Bradley was able to work in South Africa before he was able to go and travel abroad because the league is one of the best run on the continent and there's investment. And without those local leagues, he'd been out of football for six years. And when you're out of football for six years, you can't get those opportunities in Europe, I don't know, unless your name is Latan or Ronaldo or Messi or Alistair Haworth, you know, in the lower leagues in Scotland. Hmm. But the point is, we need to invest. And something we've spoken about a lot on our show is the African Super League. And approximately seven months ago, we did a podcast on it. And this week, and I wonder if it has anything to do with the FIFA Congress in Kigali, that pod has got some fresh comments on them. And one of the comments comes from Molaflex, and he says... An African Super League would revolutionize African football, surely. So, again, we love your comments. Thank you for sending them in. We love to hear them. And also, we were just talking about coaching. And we had so many engagements on our Pizzo Mosimana interview. Take about Alistair. You did a fantastic job with that podcast. I'm going to read out some of the comments from people. Tula Siswe Erasmus says, Pizzo, this is to the Seasway from South Africa. This is just to confirm that I grew up supporting Bushbucks, but I found my football love stuck on you, sir. 
We are proud of you. Keep up your good work. I'm a big fan of you, sir, and I'm praying for you. Another interview, which was done by Alistair's brother, some Piwe Ginzida. Great interview, bro. Love the content. Go get him, coach. You paid for that. And also, um, we have another comment from Imishli Boy, who says, I hope he is successful and able to coach in Europe. And the final comment that I'll read from you today is from Lindiwe Koza. Make South Africa more proud, Pizzo. We wish you nothing but the best for your future. We still respect, love. You talk about history. You making history. We never forget you, Pizzo, Msandawana. And that, people, we, we love to hear from you. Tell us what you think. Ask us questions. We make this podcast for you, African football lovers, people who are curious and people who just want to learn and take on knowledge. Our pod is here for you. Courtney, I'm going to give you the final word. Don't you worry. You wanted to talk about Rolani Mokwena, the Sundowns coach, the man who might be even better than Pizzo in years to come. He was given the head coaching role last October. His team are undefeated. They're playing fine football. They're getting points. And as you tell everyone, including the postman, that team is built to win in Africa. Absolutely, Zane. The PSL is a non-starter for them. They, they don't need to be in the PSL. The, the number one position is already won. Nobody's close to them. As Gavin Hunt on our podcast has said, they, they, they don't have anything to be able to challenge them. So absolutely, Sundowns are running away with it. But it's not easy to, to manage such a high-profile team, high-profile players, uh, excellent stars, if you don't have a great management team around him. What Rulani has done, and I'm sure everybody knows this, is he, he's been very ruthless. Uh, mm-hmm. It was a trio of managers that were coaching Sundowns before. It's no longer. He's the number one. Which I think is the weirdest thing in the world. Which was, but hold on. <laughs> he, he he broke up that structure. He is now head honcho. He's the top man, and everybody now is below him. But what has that done? The team has now just gone into turbo drive. Gavin, uh, excuse me, listen to that term, Gavin. My goodness. <laughs> what tenses are those? My, my this, is, this is a school teacher as well. <laughs> shame, shame, shameful. Gave, as, gave Al Atli a 5 2 thrashing in Pretoria. Five days later, went to Royal AM and gave them a 5-1 hiding. This team is built for the African continent. Now, we are not worried about the success of Sundowns only. We are looking at managers here. He's a young manager, 64% win ratio. He should be looked at on the continent, and maybe somewhere else. This is a guy ready to move. And don't tell me he hasn't won anything. There's a chairman with an ugly tie sitting in a boardroom. Well, he's won nothing. Neither did Poch. Won nothing. Absolutely. Neither did Ole. Won nothing. Except a very important game in France where Rio Ferdinand was banging his head. Signed a contract. Won nothing. Right? So I'm saying to you, Give this guy an opportunity. He's a young manager. Forget where he comes from. Look at what he's doing. And don't listen to us only. Alan Clark that did his badges with Rulani. 
the hunger to be a good manager. Let's not compare him to Pizzo. In their own right, they're two different managers. Fair enough. Pizzo laid the pathway for managers like this to come through. Uh, Francis was talking a bit earlier on of what L.A. Cisa is doing. L.A. Cisa is not going to be there forever, but he's creating a pathway that other managers will come into this job and continue to be successful and maybe even go to a second or third tier further than where Senegal have gone in the World Cup. We've got to start giving these people the credit, man. Mm. I, I think for me, what, what strikes me about Rulani as well is he, he clearly is just a fantastic coach. I mean, like, it is very, very hard to walk into a Sundowns team that seems to walk the PSL every single year and dominates everyone and improve them. But that's exactly what they've done. I mean, we had, we had a great interview with Ronwan Williams uh, earlier this year or last year. And he right, right before and kind of uh, he signed for Sundowns and kind of he was playing kind of hinting at it and the fact that he might go. But, you know, you, you, you watch clips of them playing al and look, they got him into trouble for one of the goals against al But they're playing, you know, he's, he's playing almost as high as the centre-backs in possession. You know, you see them playing with these passing triangles. You know, the keeper I think he's, he's most like is Ederson, you know. He, he's playing with the kind of suave control that, that you know, you, you associate only with the very top of, of, of the game. And I think for me, that's what, what really stands out about McQuenna. You look... You know, in terms of legacy and stuff, again, we we don't want to compare him with Pizzo because I think Pizzo is another be a different beast. And again, we see how sensationally well he's doing in Al Ahly in, in yeah, Saudi Arabia. I mean, yeah, he's he, it won't be long before he's he's teaching Cristiano Ronaldo how to play football. But yeah, what I will yeah, say yeah. is, Mokwena has made this Sundowns team genuinely. I you know take this with a very big pinch of salt because I'm not an old man. But it's the, the best side on, on the continent I've seen in terms of the football they play. They are spectacular. And I think the only thing that is stopping them from winning the Champions League this season is those away days in North Africa. Because that, that's when you learn, look, it's not your coaching that wins those games. It's not your coaching that gets those results. It's, it's you know, your man management. To travel in numbers to make up noise to in their stadium. Exactly. But, but I mean, but, we, but we can throw this, sorry, go right? on. I'm going to throw this in here, and I'm sorry. I, I didn't know, Francis, if you wanted to come in, my, my humblest apologies to jump ahead of you. And I'm going to go to a very minor detail. And, and, uh, and this is going to go back to Alistair uh, and the point he was making. The football that they're playing. Look where the goalkeeper positions himself to be able to start attacks and how they play. But a lot of people forget Loftus Fersfeld is not a football stadium. It's a rugby ground, which has a lot of rugby played on that pitch prior to football being played. Now, I don't know if any of you have played rugby in the past. What happens to the pitch before a football game? It becomes bumpy. The ball doesn't flow that well. It creates a lot of uncertainty. Yes, this is pro football, but if you have rugby being played on the pitch, the pitch is never going to be great. Sundowns are playing unbelievable carpet football like they're playing on a bowling pitch and something to be admired. I think so. And if I may, um, I'd like to suggest that um, if McQuenna makes it over to Liverpool, then they'd probably beat Bournemouth next time. <laughs> I don't know. That seems like a pretty tough tough order these days, Francis. <laughs> beating, beating Bournemouth 1-0. I think that really deserves to have them. an opportunity. <laughs> because they've also tried the triumvirate at Liverpool at some point in time. So there's a lot of history there. There's similarities. 
They've hired multiple coaches and then chosen one. You, so McQuinn will probably you, fit in quite nicely. <laughs> You've sent Courtney well, into the press's spiral. Let me tell you, the listeners, just FYI, we're recording this game on the verge of Liverpool playing Real Madrid. And I asked Courtney if he was going to watch it. He said, no, he's going to go play football. He's had enough. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, before before you go, before and, you go, <laughs> and, 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 and I've loved the discussion on McQuinn I actually DM'd him on Twitter. DM'd him. I direct messaged him in September, and I said, our podcast is a big fan of your work, and we'd love to get you on our show at some point. Would you be game? No problem. It would be an honor. Hey. Sadly, that was the last time I heard from him. <laughs> September 12, 2022. I'm going to DM him tomorrow or when our pod is out, and I'm going to say, we're giving you so much love, coach. Come and chop it up with us. We would love you to do that. Listen, it's been a fantastic pod, full of energy, full of love. Alistair, Courtney, Francis, a pleasure seeing you. The last time we met to break bread was at Nando's. we got to do it again soon. Um, Nando's, if you're listening out there, come to us. Come to us. We genuinely like your food. <laughs> we like your food. Like, hands down. You know what I'm saying? And when you are away from your country, you want to taste your country, even though you're Portuguese or Mozambican. Oh, and I love the spicy rice, man. The spicy <laughs> rice, the cold sauce. Okay, what's your, we love it. What's your favorite side? Spicy rice. And you've got to go with the hot sauce. Don't, don't start coming us with, uh, what's it? The... Garlic. Lemon and herb. <laughs> Lemon and herb. Come on, man. Francis, go on. What, what's your favorite side? We, know, we all like the chicken, so that's all good. I love the coleslaw. I love the corn. I love the chips. I love the rice. <laughs> Pick one. You can only have one. Hey, it's the slaw, right? Pick one. You <laughs> look at me. He's taking every. Let me tell you, this this is always Francis. You ask him for for that one answer, you always he'll, he'll find a way to say everything. <laughs> Go on, Ali. What's your favorite side? Oh, it's the oh, per- chips gazer. Yeah, chips gazer. The peri peri salted chips every time. Every time I could just eat that, man. That's the best. And then he drinks I'm water. I can't understand that when you've got a fountain. Yeah, you. Nah, you're getting you're when you're consuming that much salt, man. You can't. You just gotta hydrate. Otherwise, I I can't eat as much as many chips as I would like. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, a pleasure. We've loved talking football. We've loved going through the main bag, and we've loved giving Nando's all that free publicity. Um, listen, we'll get around the bride. We'll chop it up soon. Alistair, Courtney, Francis, Celavi. <laughs>